The opinions expressed on Tomahawk Talk do not reflect that of WVFS Tallahassee. From the highest point on Florida State's campus and the hottest room in Seminole Sports, this is Tomahawk Talk. Wherever you may be and however you may be listening, we are streaming live on wvfs.fsu.edu and are also on air locally on 89.7 FM here in Tallahassee, Florida. If you would like to call into the show, feel free to dial us up at 850-644-3871. And as always, if you miss this show or any other future show, you can always go back and listen to us on the Tomahawk Talk podcast, available anywhere you get your podcasts at. Be sure to like and subscribe to the entire V89 Podcast Network while you're at it. We greatly appreciate it. I'm your host, Luke Hazen, happily joining you on another chilly Monday here in Tallahassee as we begin the month of November and both Florida State football players and the rest of Florida State Nation is recovering from a uh, wild weekend, Halloween weekend here in Tallahassee. Uh, Certainly one to remember. Uh, And as we reach into November, that means diving deeper into football and the return of FSU basketball this month and a whole lot more to talk about in the world of sports. But first... As always, before getting into everything tonight, joining me as always is my good friend and co-host, Gabe Tisnes. Gabe, how you doing, bud? I've heard a lot of, you win some, you lose some this weekend. Sometimes yes. for the wrong reasons. But <laughs> for, for me, I think I, I got the one victory I was hoping for the whole season with the Saints and the Bucks. So <clears> I, I, there, I, I know we're going to talk about it, but there's, there's another, no other yeah. way I'm going to start the show off without without that. Right. You you had to mention, and, and, and by far... I'm going to give credit to you, Gabe. You've had to put up with a lot of BS this this year with, with resident Bucks fans here talking, and we're going to get into that later. We're going to give you a whole whole podium to, on which to stand on and talk about your Saints <laughs> beating the Bucks this weekend. Championship but, parade already. But other than the Saints, you had a good weekend overall. What did yeah. you go as for Halloween, man? I dressed up as myself. <laughs> oh, boo. <laughs> Although that's a pretty good costume. Yeah. Pretty scary. Spooky. Uh, <laughs> Tennessee Street was busting. Yeah, I was, I was like, whoa. Certainly, certainly crazy. Uh, but also joining us, rejoining, not not a reliever anymore. He is getting the starting nod tonight <laughs> on the panel. Uh, William Haynes, welcome back to the show, full time. Not just coming in relief for baseball talk, but you're here to break down the whole whole uh, shebang with us. Two games left of the World Series. We all know it's all hands on deck. Any pitcher on the roster could come in the game at any time. So instead of coming out of the pen, I'll try and give the manager five or six innings strong here to begin the game. Yeah, good job there, uh, <laughs> segueing into that. Um, what did you go as for Halloween? I'm, I guess I'm asking the whole panel this. I did what Gabe did, went as myself. <laughs> oh. Also joining us on the panel tonight, Max Rooney making his return. Max, we had you last on before the postseason started, I believe, uh, talking about your Brewers. That had to be disappointing there, uh, obviously, the way that ended. But how, how have you been in the meantime? Uh, well, the baseball playoffs really did not go well for me whatsoever. Spending about $150 in the span of three days, seeing both my teams lose, and then days afterwards lose the entire series. Yeah. little tough, but I'm happy the Braves are in control of this series, and I'm excited to be back. It's yeah. always fun to be on. Oh, yeah. What'd you guys rally? I was actually a Ghostbuster. Boom. Let's go. You have the laser gun and everything? Oh, yeah. Awesome, awesome stuff. What about you, Luke? Oh, I, I was gonna say I, I I I did not go the the route that you and William did, but it was a it was not much better. I went as a cowboy. <laughs> that was that was my thing. My my girlfriend and I dressed up cowboy cowgirl. Mm. She she was a, a looked a lot better than I did. Trust me, <laughs> and especially towards the end of the night. But <laughs> also joining us, uh, kind of the the guy that we sent up there. Well, 
V89 did not. We did not get credentialed for it. But uh, he went to the game anyway. Jackson, you took initiative. You went up to the Clemson FSU game this weekend. Uh, but how was your weekend overall outside of the game? It was pretty good. I went as Rudy, or at least a, a bad attempt. Put on a Notre Dame hat and an old Nike track suit and called it a night. Uh, but it was it, the the weekend was great. Nice uh, 12-hour round trip drive up to Clemson. Really beautiful place. Um, not a whole lot of people around in the surrounding area, but a uh, really great game, really great atmosphere, and I was really glad to be a part of it. Yeah, lo- loyal listeners to the to the whole V89 podcast network will know that that. Rudy, objectively, not the best sports movie ever, as we voted on it on the Graveyard Show. Andy was offside. He was also offside. Andy was, Andy was offside. <laughs> that goes with that saying. Kind of have to mention it every now and then. Uh, but, Jackson, thank you for joining us tonight. Uh, as always, shout out to Scott Clemens in the booth on the ones and twos, making sure we sound as good, even though we don't deserve to. Sebastian also joining us. Uh, Sebastian Angeliano is in the booth. And also in the booth, I think, overwatching everything, uh, former host of the show, Gary Putnick. So shout out to Gary for, for coming back to his old stomping grounds. I know he's he's moved on to Greener Pastures covering the NCAA for, uh, I, I think, Turner Sports and, and the NCAA.com in general. So shout out to Gary here. I'm sure we're going to get to talk later on. But for now, we got to talk about this game that happened this weekend. Florida State goes on the road to Clemson and loses what was, in in totality, a close one. Objectively speaking, this game was close. They lose it 30-20 to on a backdoor, lateral fumble, mishap, what have you. You know, it's going to be memed forever because of the, the uh, betting uh, consequences that happened mm-hmm. because of that and also uh, just because it was a funny play to watch. Those are always funny to watch. Um, but really... FSU loses by a one-score game to Clemson. Uh, they came into this weekend's game on the, probably off the highest note of the season after crushing, crushing UMass by what seemed like a billion points and winning their third game in a row. They had a bye week mixed in there as well. It's been four really positive weeks for FSU building off of it. Uh, Clemson, on the other hand, came in kind of cratering after, after another loss, their third loss of the season to Pitt, uh, including a, a, a game where DJ Uangale, uh gets benched, gets benched for Clemson. Uh, and yet, after this weekend, uh, Florida State falls to three and five. Clemson now at five and three as Clemson gets the victory there. Um, so, Gabe, I'll start with you. Uh, FSU loses a close game that might, uh, if you look at the numbers, might have panned out differently if Florida State doesn't make a couple of splash plays. But I want to get your first thoughts on what you saw this last Saturday with this FSU team that now has to regroup after uh, another loss this season. First of all, props to you for being so bold and calling out his name because I'm sure as heck not going to try this this episode. I'm a straight shooter, man. I'll, I'll, I'll take my shots. <laughs> but, um, man, we, we've said this so many times already this season. This is a step forward, even though it's a loss. This is a step forward. There's positive things in this loss. You know, we got to find the silver linings. But I think it is true. I think this is the final time you can really say that this season and just kind of, like, be okay with it because – Last year, you wouldn't have ever seen this performance from this team. And yes, we are seeing a different Clemson over there. It's not the same Tigers that we've expected them to be. But at the same time, FSU came in there, and we know their, their history on the road. And, and we've seen how they've struggled so mightily. But we've seen the improvement as well. We saw how they went to UNC and they took it to them. And while they still lost, they, they, took, to, they took it to Clemson. The, the defense played as good as you could have hoped for. And while the offense didn't show up as much as you would have hoped for I think there there was uh, some sort of improvement overall as a team as as a unit I think Mike Novell has really got this unit trending forward and I think 
you will see this against NC State, and I don't want to talk about that just yet because we're obviously going to talk about it in a little bit, but I do think that's when it's going to show because, and if it doesn't show, then that's when you start hitting the alarm button because we saw how the team didn't react positively to the loss at Notre, or against Notre Dame. It was a good loss in, in, in the whole big picture perspective, but that's not going to do much unless you actually do something about it going forward in the next week. So I I think FSC fans are, are they shouldn't be disappointed, uh, but you definitely are left wanting more, especially seeing how close it was and, and how it was there for the taking. Jordan Travis and the, and the Knowles in, in the offensive side of the ball, they definitely uh, struggled so mightily against that, that defensive line from Clemson. So um, props to them. But it's it's interesting to see how Dabo and, and the rest of the Clemson Tigers were, were cheering and, and getting hyped about beating FSU. Yeah, I mean, we, we haven't seen that in years. <laughs> Before, it was just a foregone conclusion about, hey, this team's going to come in here or we're going to go to them and we're going to beat the frick out of them. And, right. you know, now yeah. it's not the same. That 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 was probably the closest Clemson-FSU game since 2016 when yeah. when Clemson came to Doak, I want to say. Mm-hmm. Um, but, Gabe, we talked about it on the show last week how these two programs were kind of, if if you know if nothing else, kind of ships passing in the night the way that their yeah. seasons were going. Much less programs, more teams. Because mm-hmm. I think after this week we can still clearly say Clemson is a better program than FSU. That was my one takeaway was was just how much Clemson dominated yeah. FSU, save for a couple of splash plays. We'll get to the the, the awesome Lawrence Tofili play early, uh, later, but um, just the way that Clemson's defense dominated Florida State for most of the game, uh, that was the one thing that Clemson could still hang their hat on. Uh, FSU's defense came to play. They took advantage of a Clemson offense that's still figuring things out, struggling, still struggling mightily, uh, and. Th- FSU's defense kept them in the game. They actually literally put up one-third of FSU's points on the board uh, for the Knowles. But I think, you know, we're talking about this was probably the best opportunity Florida State's had in a while to beat Clemson Mm -hmm. going into a game. And yet Clemson was still more than a touchdown favorite on paper. And then they showed up uh, and they kind of dominate the box score. They probably should have won this game uh, by a couple more scores, I want to say. But the fact that Florida State still looked locked in, still looked focused enough to play this game, uh, we, you know, we talked about it. You can kind of throw wins and losses out the window this year. Florida State has has not given anyone the benefit of the doubt of, of penciling them in for a win. Mm-hmm. But I think just the way that, that you know we've been able to pay attention to their responses to adversity and, and responses and, and not seeming to give up uh, in any game since uh, the Wake Forest game. I want to say, um, it's been it's been impressive to say the least. Or the Louisville game. I'm I'm sorry about that. Yeah. Um, but even in the Louisville game, they they still responded. They still yeah. got up for it. Um. But yeah, I I just I come out of this game. The one takeaway is that Florida State, as as much as we loved harping on on how great they've been playing the last couple of weeks, they're still a little bit away as a program, uh, from a program perspective, of getting to where they need to be under Mike Norvell. Uh, William, I'll go to you real quick. Uh, what what was your great takeaway coming out of this game? What it, what really stood out to you about the Seminoles? What stood out to me the most, and I was on the show after the Jacksonville State game, and my main concern with that was the lack of creativity with the offense. The game plan I thought was just poor all the way around. In just a few weeks, how far we've come, uh, to me the biggest takeaway was the game planning on the offensive side of the ball. Mike Norvell and the OC, uh, Kenny Dillingham, I thought put together a really good plan. That delayed snap count that they've been doing lately led to four offside penalties in the first two possessions. It also worked for them a lot in that UNC game and it helped them move the ball there. 
early in the game in the first quarter. They also had a nice uh, delayed mesh point handoff to Corbin, which was the longest rush of the day on third and long that they called it basically a draw on the broadcast. And then, of course, that crafty design to get Toa Feely wide open on the wheel route. Those all led to points. It all kept you in the game in the first half. A lot of those things you can call gimmicks. You can call smoke and mirrors. Brett Venables for Clemson, uh, unquestionably the best defensive coordinator in the country, was able to uh, coach his team up at halftime and, and stop some of those things. But it kept you in the game there for, for quite a while. Yeah, Brett Venables for for all we lo- you know we love to to make fun of the dude because he is a certified insane person. He is he is unhinged at times for Clemson. We love making fun of the the weird stuff he does on the sidelines. But he is the like you said, William. He is one of the game's best when it comes to defensive coordinators. And you know, Florida State. I think you know offensively, you could kind of assume going into this game. Like Brent Venables was going to be damn sure that Jordan Travis was not going to beat Clemson with his legs. He didn't. Uh, that was a huge problem for FSU. And, you know, you get a quarterback that's as limited as Jordan Travis in a situation like that. Like, eventually, I think Kenny Dillingham said it in his press conference today. Like, they went, they eventually stopped the run. They went four wide just so Jordan Travis could have a little easier time dictating reads and figuring out uh, the blitz packages that Clemson was sending his way. And going four wide with this uh, set of uh, wide receivers. And that offensive line is a disaster for Florida State. Uh, Max, I'll go to you. Uh, just looking at this team and, and more specifically the offense and their struggles, um, does this kind of tamper back your expectations, the fact that they went up against a legit defense and, and struggled just like they had earlier in the season? I don't necessarily think this is a bad thing for FSU offense entirely. I think it's just injury and not having the best possible lineup we could have out there right now. And just youth I think the O-line is what I'm really looking at here, though. At times, this O-line can be extraordinary, especially in the run. But they really, really struggle at containing the pass rush. And you could see it all over the place. You're forcing Travis to run 100 yards before he does anything. You're not going to get very many positive plays out of that. And as he was saying, the the first half game plan was great. But Clemson's D coordinator came out with a much stronger defensive plan for the second and it showed 84 total second half yards with only 13 of them rushing on 17 attempts it's 0.8 per carry right. that that can't happen especially with a team that relies almost entirely on their running game and then also classic FSU issue right here penalties penalties really hurt in the second eight penalties for 80 yards it reared its ugly head and you know that had been one of the if not the bright spot for FSU the last couple of weeks Everyone loved making fun of how undisciplined a team. This was a team that didn't commit that like hardly any penalties at all during their win streak. And even going back to like the Louisville and, and the Wake Forest game, they weren't commit. Well, the Wake Forest game, they did commit a ton of penalties. But up until today or uh, Saturday, sorry, uh, Florida State had really done a good job of limiting those penalties. I think it was the case where they like you get a mismatch as great as Clemson's front front seven against Florida State's O line is. Uh, that's gonna you're gonna have to commit a penalty or two if you want to have success. And Florida State got busted for it. Uh, I'll go to Jackson real quick because I know you you were in the stands for the game. Uh, you saw kind of the the huge splash plays that Florida State was able to make both on the defensive and the offensive side of the ball. Take us through that Lawrence Tolafili uh, touchdown run that seemed like everyone in the stadium gave up on, including the announcing bro- uh, on the broadcast team. They gave up on it. The referee and Lawrence Tolafili did not. He goes for, uh, I f- I'm forgetting the name off the top of my head, the Auburn running back that scored in the Fiesta Bowl there. But he gets up, somersaults, gets back up, runs in for, for Florida State's score there. Uh, how did that look inside the stadium? 
Well, I'll tell you what. I was sitting in the nosebleeds, so I didn't have the greatest look, but just like everybody else in the you stands. Uh, I did have a look. I did have a look, and I gave up on it as well. Okay, all of a sudden, all of a sudden I, well, I, I, I gave up on it. I different, Jackson. I, I, I'm sorry. I gave up on it for about a second, and then I look up, and all of a sudden he's running into the end zone, and I thought, well, for sure he stepped out, and he didn't step out. And then for sure I'm like, there's no way he scored. All of a sudden the referee's hands are going up in single level touchdown, and I just kind of blacked out. It was kind of just magical. It was really, really cool to watch. Yeah, and then and then you get the um, the defensive touchdown score later in the game to put FSU in the lead, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, how how was the crowd's reaction to that? And and how did the, you know, if you could key in on anything, on, I know you're in the nosebleeds, but just sort of the, the, the sideline and how they reacted for Florida State. It was, you could hear a pin drop in that stadium. It right. was so quiet. It, it was incredible. Um, one of the most deafening one of the most one of the most loud silences I've ever heard. If that makes any sense. The silence is deafening. Yeah. absolutely. And the, the obviously the the away side was just going crazy. It, it was it was a really really cool moment to watch. And I, I really wish uh, Florida State could have held on because that would have been a really good win for the program. Right. Yeah, Jermaine Johnson again making splash plays all over the place. He's definitely earned himself. Uh, more money than he had coming into the season. He has been a godsend for Florida State on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, but, Gabe, I'll go back to you, talking about FSU versus Clemson and, and sort of the struggles that they had. Um, are you at all discouraged moving forward? I, you know, we're breaking, we're try- trying to break down a season in which there's, you know, not a whole lot to break down here. Uh, <laughs> but when you look at this program, is it just – a, a, a Jimmy's and Joe's where they they just need to start recruiting better, or do you do you still see some problems with the way that games are being called by Mike Norvell? That that was one of my issues with the game was whether it be running the the same delayed mesh points that they had been running or going four wide uh, and kind of exposing your quarterback in that offensive line. There were some problems that I had with it, but at the same time, I realize I think most fans should realize Clemson and and the dudes that they're rolling out there, especially on the defensive end are just that much better than Florida State. So I, I want to get your opinion on, on what you think right now after seeing what should be the standard for Florida State in that Clemson program. Uh, what is FSU's real problem there? You know, throughout this whole season, we've talked about patience. And we've talked about patience after heartbreaking losses. And it's not really been the funnest thing to say on, on air. But I think this is the game where I will say it, and I will say it confidently, because... I don't, I don't see how you can really be disappointed uh, about the end result. I think you can, you can question um, how things ended up being and, and, and the calling and, and this and that. But at the end of the day, like, we talked about predictions last week. And nobody gave a shot to FSU except me. Uh, but um, <laughs> regardless, I, I do think that this is where you have to be realistic, where, where, where the program's at. You are not only going to be outcoached, more, more likely because – the other guys on the other staff has have been to the playoffs the last couple of years. You have not been to a bowl game. You have players that are just not on the same level. So you're on the road. I mean, there's every excuse for Mike Novell and the guys to co- go out there and get blown out. Granted, the Clemson Tigers have not been the Clemson Tigers that we know, right. and their offense is not what it used to be. They barely score 21 points these days. But right. at the same time, the, the Seminoles came out to play in the first quarter. They, they came out to play in the second half as well. And while the, the, the running game was not being committed to, for some reason, I don't know why, obviously the Clemson D-line was, was going to be a problem, but if you don't give them a chance, then how do you know your best players are not going to perform? 
And I think it really hurt whenever Trayshawn Ward fumbled because mm-hmm. that's basically your maybe your best weapon on offense. And and he fumbles like that, and and of course you're going to be discouraged. You're going to want to start throwing the ball left and right to, to get back in not, the game. Not only just throwing the ball, but they're going to rotate those guys we, like they've done it before yeah. this season. One guy fumbles like that. Mm-hmm. They have options to go to, and they use them rotating just like that. So, yeah, that was kind of discouraging to see. Um, I, I just think, you know, with with the game plan and the way it worked, you kind of had to abandon the run, at least the way that they were running pretty early on. Because those guys, like Clemson's D-line was just beating everyone to their spot and, and, and shoring up any gaps, any gaps whatsoever that Florida State had. So, I, and any again, like I said, anytime you get a mismatch like that, it doesn't matter who your quarterback is, it doesn't matter your skilled players, your running backs, what have you, or on the other side of the ball, if if you've got a dominant offensive line, it doesn't matter about the cornerbacks or anything like that, you're going to get beat, and you know football games don't lie like that. Like The better team, the more physical team is going to win. And the game is won in the trenches. We know right. this. The team that makes the last mistakes wins. But at the same time, FSU ran out every gimmick they had, basically. Yeah. And they were not consistently good on offense. And then you look back at the Keyshawn Helen bomb. That was almost a touchdown. That would have changed the game. Right. I, I think if, if that lands, we're talking about a lot of different things today. But obviously it didn't. So it sucks. But at the same time, it, I don't think this is the game where you, you just start being down on everything that FSU has been building up to yeah. this season. C- certainly encourage like again, Florida State had a chance to win this game. That that should be the bottom line. They should have covered. That, that <laughs> Oh, they definitely should have covered. That's a whole different discussion. I'm very mad about that, but they had a legitimate chance to win at the game. That's what I'm preaching if I'm Mike Norvell in the in those uh in those conferences going on today. Uh Jackson, I'll start off with you cuz I wanted to ask the panel right here about the game coming up this weekend uh, a little bit. As you look at uh, NC State that comes in 6-2 and two off a win against Louisville, Jackson, uh, what do you make of, of Florida State's competition this weekend and, and potentially a shot to get back on track? Uh, NC State's two losses this year have come on the road to, I would say, inferior opponents that have caught them slipping. So I want to get your opinion on the game this weekend. Well, I'll tell you what. These past couple of days, I've been thinking, well, really since the loss of, since the loss to Clemson, I've kind of had this thought, and I'd think there's nothing more dangerous to a team than losing a close game to a good team because it makes you feel like you're doing okay, but you don't make any changes. Like a a false sense of hope. A false sense of hope, exactly right. Right. So it it happened against Notre Dame. I think that might happen against Clemson. We'll see. I, I think, I don't know, did they announce the line yet? For the NC State four. game, four. I think it's four. I don't know. Because it's at home. Yeah, it's definitely a one-score game. I think it's about four. <clears throat> Not gambling advice, of course. <laughs> just fake, these are fake numbers. I think it'll be close. I don't know. I think it stays within one score. I don't know if Florida State covers, but I would not be surprised if I see NC State come in hungry. I wouldn't be surprised if Florida State comes out flat. So I'm predicting a loss this week for the Knolls. Wow. I mean. Jackson, you're usually the optimist in the field when we're covering Florida State, so that is some damning evidence right there about Florida State's chances this weekend. William, I'll go to you when you're breaking down uh, what could potentially go go on for Florida State this weekend. Uh, do you see this at all as a, as a game that Florida State has to win, or is Florida State just playing with house money, and how do you see the go- uh, game going down this weekend? I don't know that I would necessarily call it house money. I mean, you still want to, you know, take steps forward and and have a good kind of vibe around the program going into the offseason. But you look at this game next week against NC State, 
There are some pluses. Obviously, you're not in that hostile environment that was Death Valley. You're back in front of your home crowd. NC State, as you mentioned, both of their losses on the road. Also, you're not having to go up against that defense that's littered with five stars. You yeah. know, you're not going to have to be going up against Brett Venables. Uh, but in the other direction, I think NC State is a more balanced team, certainly better offensively. They're going to give you some more trouble right. there. I could see NC State dropping 35, 40 points on us. I'm not really confident that we can match with that. So I, I see maybe a 7- to 10-point victory in uh, the favor of the Wolfpack this week. Yeah. Uh, Max, I'll go to you next. So just what stands out to you about NC State this weekend, and how do you see the game going? I really agree with both my panelists here. I, I think it'll be one of those games where FSU's almost sleeping a little bit. They, they feel good after a tight game against a really good opponent, and they're going to get punched in the face. But I think FSU does bounce back, hang around, make it a ball game. I think it'll probably be about a 10-12 victory for the Wolfpack, but it'll be much closer than the score says. And I really think first couple drives could really determine the game. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I could. Uh, Gabe, I'll go to you next, and I'll wrap up with my thoughts. Just your, your thoughts about the game this weekend. I, I don't want to share them. <laughs> Come on, come on. <laughs> no, no, I'm kidding. We're big uh, day journalists. We gotta, we gotta be objective here, no matter <laughs> what it looks like. I, I, once again, like last week, I am trying to be optimistic. I am trying to be optimistic for these Knolls, because, I mean, this is their second last home game, and it's gonna be tough. It's gonna be tough. But I'm gonna say FSU comes out, and they, they, they scrap it out. They scrap it out. Jordan Travis will lead them to victory this time. He will make oh, up wow. for everything he didn't make up in, against Clemson. And, and I, I do think that the running game will, will be solidified this time. I think they're going to go back to it, and I think Treshawn's going to also redeem himself. So overall, the defense should keep up with what, what they were up to uh, in, in Death Valley, and then Jordan Travis will, will, will play as mistake-free as he can, and FSU will win 33-26. to 26. Wow. There we go. First, first guy to pick the Knowles on the panel. Yeah, the script has been flipped. I know. Gabe's usually the the, the pessimist a little bit on the show. Jackson <laughs> flipping sides here, I guess. Um, all in on the prediction segment right here. Uh, weirdly enough, if this game was three hours later, four hours later, as a night game at Doak, I would probably pick the Knowles. Uh, I, I, I like if it was at eight o'clock or seven o'clock, I would get huge UNC vibes from mm. last year about this game where. NC State in that environment comes out flat on their face, and NC or FSU might be able to build a lead. But at the same time, NC State has that scar tissue now. They've been caught slipping multiple times now on the road against teams that they should have beaten in Mississippi State and Miami. Um, and so I, I, I think that they're going to come out much more balanced uh, than Clemson looked last weekend against Florida State. I really don't see an avenue in which Florida State matches score for score with NC State. Like they they have a legitimate offense. I could again, like I think Williams said it. I could see them dropping thirty five to forty points on the Knolls this weekend. Um, and I don't know uh, how Florida. Well, I mean, obviously we're gonna we're gonna learn a lot more about like even more about this program uh, with the game this weekend and how they respond to a close win again or a close loss. I'm sorry, uh, to Clemson. Uh, that might be that might be a problem if they're treating it like they won that game. To be mm. sure. But I'm gonna go ahead. I'm going to go ahead and say NC State 38, Florida State 24. They win by two scores. Two scores is the margin of victory. Um, that, I think we're going to wrap up a little bit early for the first half here on Tomahawk Talk. Uh, that was all Knowles in the first half. 
We're going to come back. We're going to talk FSU soccer, ending their season on a semi-high note with some, some good prospects heading into the postseason, uh, as well as some World Series talk and some NFL talk here on Tomahawk Talk. You are listening live on v- WVFS, the voice of Florida State. All right, we are back here on Tomahawk Talk for the second hour live on WVFS Tallahassee. Talking to Knowles the entire first half, it was a huge game for Florida State, so that, that's why it took up the whole half. I'm, we're, we love to talk about it, but... Moving on to kind of zooming out on the college football landscape in general, a couple surprise, a couple surprising games. Uh, Ole Miss falls to Auburn. That kind of knocks them out of the race for the SEC West. Disappointing. I wanted to see a, a Lane Kiffin Jimbo matchup down the road that <laughs> could could play heir to the throne if Alabama were to drop a game. But Ole Miss kind of plays himself out with a loss to Auburn there. Um, and then the other one, the huge game that lived up to the billing, a top ten matchup that was uh, between Michigan State and Michigan. Uh, Michigan State rallies furiously in the second half. Uh, I think they were down 30-14 to 14 at one time. They come back to win it 37-33 uh, and kind of put themselves in a position where it's basically winning your in for the Big Ten, Big Ten title game if they're able to beat Ohio State in a couple weeks. Uh, but Gabe, just talking about that game real quick, what, what stood out to you? I mean, it was an insane game, and of course Gus Johnson was on the call. That was lovely. That was lovely. I... I... I will watch any Goss, Goss Johnson, oh, Goss yeah. Johnson uh, game. But, I mean, Kenneth Walker, come on. Uh, Huge performance. How, that, how uh, do you not talk about him? It's it's mind-boggling to say, you know, to think about five touchdowns, 197 yards against that Michigan defense that had been playing pretty well to start the season. And, it, you know, disappointing loss for Michigan there. Uh, but, William, one more thing, and this, this is less about the game itself. Obviously, Michigan State with a huge win, but has – Big noon Saturday overtaken ABC primetime for your favorite matchups of the week. I mean, it seems like they they just get a ton of great games nowadays. Fox has really capitalized because before it was always just you kind of put those games that weren't as exciting in that noon window. And so Fox has just said, we're going to put our best game of the day in that window. And and this game certainly dominated. and, And it was a fun watch all the way through with Sparty being able to pull it out there at the end. Right, it, it, it caters to their audience too. All those people in the Midwest, they need to get to bed early. They put put the big games at noon. Let them get their tailgating in, and then they'll they'll, they'll be in bed by eight o'clock or whatever. Uh, but then the other big news: college football playoff releases their initial rankings. I know I'm going to get a ton of eye rolls for this because you know it's the first week of the college football playoff. Uh, but it's it's you know it kind of takes it sets a precedent to say the least moving forward, how the committee ranks their teams moving forward. So I'll go around the room, including Gary Putnick, who's joining us in the studio to talk a little sports in the uh, first half here. Um, what you guys' top four uh, predictions are for tomorrow. Gabe, I'll start with you. Well, if we're talking right now, obviously Georgia, um, Oklahoma yes. has to be there for the moment, but I wouldn't be surprised because they have two big mom- or matchups coming up. So if they just slip up once, they're, they're out. But uh, Cincinnati, come on. Can't get him out of there just right. yet. I'm just waiting for the, the the committee to to get him out in the last week. But you know, that's for for another time. But I do think Alabama deserves a fourth spot. Yeah. I, I I don't see how how you can really criticize them to the point of of getting them out because we're obviously not talking about previous years. Each year is new, but at the same time, we know who Nick Saban is and we know who this team is and, and how they've uh, 
dominated a lot of teams. And, right. and for them to just be ruled out on one loss, I, I don't think it's, it's fair. I get you. Absolutely. Gary, I'll go to you Gabe, next. I think you're over. So with the stat sheet for Alabama, they do play a lot of close games early on, and then they blow away teams in that second half and even late into the fourth like they did with Tennessee a few weeks ago. I do believe that I, in my ranking, I have Alabama out. Alabama is not in this top four. I hate that I have to choose between these some of these teams right now in a top four, but it would still be Georgia, Cincinnati, Oklahoma still gets in. This is not in any specific order because I don't this the three and four are kind of iffy for me. But I mean, as of right now, I maybe am more willing to put a Michigan State in over mm. Ohio State. I don't wow. like I don't see. I don't like the Ohio State's loss to Oregon is big. I yeah. still think that should play a big factor. But they Oregon with that loss to Stanford, they have fallen off the map, off everybody's radar, and they still have a chance to control their own destiny and win right, the Pac-12. Still one loss. Exactly. They're still a good team. I don't believe they're that bad, and they've managed to get around having Kayvon Thibodeau out for a little bit with some injury. Uh, Anthony Brown at times has looked shaky, but it's still been a good team over there. I really do believe Oregon has a chance to sneak their way in, and I'm I'm disappointed I don't see them on the the, the sheet this evening. <laughs> yeah, William, I'll go to you next. Over the years, just watching the the head scratching decisions that the committee has made, just kind of trying to follow along with their thinking. My rankings predictions: Georgia, of course, is your unquestioned number one. I would imagine they go Ohio State at two just because they love blowouts. Ohio State has blown away just about everyone they've played that they've won against. They had a nice win uh, over Penn State as well. And then you look at, you know, if you're going to lose, what's the strength of the loss? Yes, it was at home, but it's against a top 10, potentially maybe top five Oregon team. It was earlier in the season. Ohio State has been able to bounce back. Oklahoma, a number three, they are undefeated. They have had some close calls, but uh, again, they're still unbeaten. I would have Alabama at number four. Uh, again, same thinking with Ohio State what was the loss mm. it was a tough road environment at A&M and, and uh, a fall to them and then I would have Michigan State and Cincinnati on the outside looking in they're both unbeaten but a lot wow. of close games against teams that wow. maybe aren't enough to snuff against the teams in the top four hmm. very controversial <laughs> getting a, a reaction from no Putnick Cincinnati? here no no, no Bearcats for William Max I'll go to you to round out the panel and then I'll give mine I mean the most obvious pick is Georgia at one nobody can debate that it's clear yeah. I have Cincinnati at two right now. That's mostly just because I guess like they kind of have to have it, I would say. Oklahoma is three behind them, only because they've almost lost like three games at this point. Right. And I'm going to agree with Gary here. I think Michigan State should be four. Wow, there you go. I, I don't think Ohio State's that team this year, and I think whoever comes out of the West in the for the Big Ten Championship will be the team that makes it into that, the oh, four spot. Jump of the East? Is it the East? Oh, it is the East. Yeah. The West is the, the, the forgotten West is stepchild, <laughs> the Iowa and Wisconsin now. Yeah. Iowa's completely falling off the map. Iowa's Minnesota going to win that this after year. After being number two in, in the nation. The West is the coastal of yes. the Big Ten. Yeah. It's yeah. just coastal chaos uh, was a big West. It's the wild, wild West. There you go. Way. There you go. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to agree with Gary and Max to some degree. So George is obviously number one, although I think they should be knocked for beating up on inferior opponents. It's a it's oh. weak competition here. Yeah, okay, so are you admitting Florida's weak competition? <laughs> they're they are uh, they're in a tough yeah. spot. They're in a pickle right now, Gary. No. We'll, we'll talk about Florida later on off air. No, I no, got I got pick some brain here. No comment. I, I've been away from Gary so long. He has not been able to lay into me about uh, Dan Mullen and company down mm-hmm. in Gainesville there. Uh, but then number two, I would go Cincinnati. 
still undefeated, still an impressive resume despite a couple of close finishes, just like everyone else on the list that I'm looking at has had close finishes against uh, teams that are worse than them. So I go Cincinnati 2, uh, and then rounding it out, I would go uh, Michigan State at 3, still undefeated, uh, and Oklahoma. And the way I see it, I bunch those three together, those undefeated teams that have had a couple sloppy performances, and then on the outside looking in are uh, Alabama and Ohio State, who when you're looking down the line, might put together just as impressive a resume and might still be in. But if I'm objectively ranking these teams based on their performances this season, I'm not going to put Alabama or Ohio State ahead. Ohio State can hang their head on that Oregon loss if they have a completed resume uh, and if that's their only loss on the schedule. Sure, then then we can figure out stuff. But for now, I'd go uh, Georgia, Cincinnati, Michigan State, and Oklahoma as my top four with the other two looking. And then Oregon, Oregon a little bit on the edge. Oklahoma's been such a different team ever since Caleb Williams came into this. I don't know how much you guys have talked about him so far this year, but, I mean, it's night and day. I... I did not like Spencer Rattler playing in on the field. He was not a good quarterback, in my opinion. Thank I you. could tell that from uh, last season. Right. My roommate was all in on him because he watched the was it the Netflix show that he was on? Uh, QB one. Yeah, he watched that. He's like Spencer Rattler's gonna be really good. I saw the first few games. Like this kid is not a good quarterback. He's and like, of course, the one team to make him look like a Heisman contender. And the University of Florida. Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, we we shall see. Poor poor DJ and Spencer. Right. Get that, get that Dr. Pepper check, get the NIL checks, and then uh, looking dicey right now. But we'll move on from college football to talk a little bit of, of uh, postseason soccer. FSU soccer wraps up the regular season with a 1-1 tie against Virginia. Uh, an incredible, incredible atmosphere uh, at the soccer complex this last Thursday, uh, especially on a senior night where, where so many emotions are running high. Um, I've, gosh, I've... I'm not, I don't have the list right here of, of everyone that was honored. It was the it was the um, yeah. it was Gabby Carl. Uh, ah, you got Jalen Howell. You got Julie Zhao. You got um, I forgot her name, but she's a center back. Oh, sorry, yeah, Emily Madrid. Right. Yeah, Gabby Carl, Gianna Mitchell, and, and Jalen Howell get honored there. Uh, it ends in a one-one tie. Last second shot hits off the post. So Florida State. Uh, with a win, they would have been the one seed heading into the postseason, I believe. Uh, but instead, they draw the two seed, uh, and they play now Wake Forest this coming Friday. Uh, so, William, just your impressions of the team's performance on Thursday, wrapping up the season, and, and uh, their prospects for the postseason here and whether they can make a run in the ACC tournament. That game against Virginia, and they're the number one t- team at the time the game was played, it was a tough battle. It was interesting to see how the schedule broke. For, for the soccer team this year. They played a couple of uh, ranked teams going into conference play, but once conference play began, it was a lot of teams that didn't give them much trouble. I mean, a 5 nothing win over Pittsburgh, 4-1 over Clemson, 5 nothing over Syracuse. It seemed like every team that they played, they would roll up and just blow them out. They would dominate time of possession like almost 75%, keeping the ball away from their opponents all game. And then you get into the stretch where you play number seven, North Carolina. You tie them in double overtime, and both teams were absolutely exhausted at the end of that battle. You get shut out one nothing by Duke, who was number six, and then that one-to-one draw to the number one team in the country in Virginia. So um, I, I guess you would say maybe playing these better teams at the end of the season is right because this is getting you acclimated for postseason play. Um, but and Same time you're not winning. <laughs> you're yeah, that's not winning exactly two games. two draw two draws and a loss. But hopefully, you, you're optimistically you would argue that uh, they're just getting their feet wet in, into this tougher play, and that they'll they'll bounce back stronger uh, in the weeks ahead. Yeah, and cer- certainly, you know, you would like to win those games against these tougher opponents. But two ties and you know, and two over, you know, two extra time games, North Carolina and then uh, Virginia. 
it's certainly nothing to hang your head about. Uh, but Gabe, going into the postseason, what? Who are a couple of players that you're looking at that could really, you know, carry Florida State? Uh, this, you know, against tougher opponents. You know, the team wasn't a 14 and 0 winning streak. Like for them to just go from that to not winning in three straight games, albeit against really good opposition. It's definitely something that that will affect their their not I don't think not necessarily their confidence but more so their form and obviously they're going to be even more hungry now going into the ACC tournament and that's where I look at players like Jenna Nyswanger and Yui Zhao who they've notoriously been more so the super subs in, in the Krikorian system but I think we're we're getting to the point where as much as I, I, I admire and respect Leilani Nesbeth. I don't see how you keep starting her over them. And, and granted, she starts, and then she doesn't really play as much when it comes to minutes throughout the whole game. But but I think those two players, they they bring out more uh, more help on the attacking side of the ball, which is something that the Knolls kind of need right now because after Beata Olsen, I don't see who's scoring for this team. I, I do know that they have so many goal scorers. They're definitely a team that, that thrives on, on, on numbers. But at the same time, this is a team that, is very possession based and when you when you're possession based you sometimes don't take the chances you're not as direct as you need mm-hmm. to be and when you're facing even better opposition it's going to be even harder to get the ball in the back end of the net you, you can't just rely on 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 having the possession and, and having more chances because the other team will 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 fight back and because of that i do think that Jui Zhao and jenna Wonger are going to be key players in this ACT tournament. Yeah, absolutely. And Gary, any final thoughts on, on soccer? I mean, like speaking of this team's form, it really does hurt to have them playing a lot of these good opponents at the end of the season because you want a team to be hot and flowing into the next into the playoff rounds of the ACC tournament the NCAA. It's not very reassuring to see them go through these kind of tough times because it's going to be only tough competition from here on out. So it really does it's not great to see this sort of form out of them, but I do believe they still have a chance to kind of get it right, but it's going to, like Gabe's saying, it's going to take a lot more pressure because it did notice. I did notice watching that Virginia game. It was very passive, it felt like, at times. Yeah, some certainly some some issues, but not uncorrectable issues for Florida yeah. State heading into the postseason. I'm, I'm not alarmed. It's just I, I remember what happened last year. Yeah. And obviously, it was a very much different year. But when I look back at, at how the, their season ended and, and they, they were supposed to win the, the whole thing, but even throughout the last couple of games, I saw the offense de- decrease in, in how, how effective they were. And obviously, I think a lot of it is also, the, the, we've talked about it, the miles on the tires. They're, they're, they're seniors. They're, they've, they've been here so many times, and, and there's a lot of emotion that, that comes out of this. But I, I do think that uh, FSU is going to struggle a little bit on the offensive side of the ball as, as they, they go on and, and maybe face Virginia in the ACC tournament final. Yeah, we shall see to be sure. So from one postseason, we move to what I consider the postseason and the World Series now, Major League Baseball. We're getting it in early. We're not waiting until the final two minutes to talk about baseball for once on the show. And and what better way than to talk about the World Series, which has been pretty phenomenal from, from my standpoint uh, so far. So we came off the air last time. William, you said Astros in six, right? That was my call. Not going to happen. I said Astros in six. <laughs> not going to happen. I think everyone except Jack Oliaro picked Astros to win in some form or fashion uh, before Game 7. Uh, Jack, I think, picked Braves in 6 or Braves in 7. But So I'll give him his props for at least uh, not picking the uh, the Braves or the Astros until then. But Astros win Game 2, 7-2. to They go to Atlanta, and then all, all hell breaks loose for the Astros offense. They score zero runs in Game 3. They score two in Game 4 
to fall to a 3-1 deficit to the Braves in what was two incredible games. And Game 4 was amazing. Dansby Swanson and Jorge Soler go back-to-back. Eddie Rosario makes a, a humongous catch, Willie Mays-esque reaching away catch there. Uh, and the Braves have the Astros on the ropes heading into last night's Game 5. And finally, finally the Astros bats that we talked about wake up after a couple of huge decisions made by Dusty Baker to switch up the lineup. He moves Carlos Correa in what could have been his last game as a Houston Astro to the three spot. He delivers with three hits of his own. Alex Bregman falls back in the lineup who had been struggling. He comes up with a couple of huge knocks, including an RBI double to get the Astros on the board after they fell behind uh, 4-0 after a grand slam. And then Martin Maldonado, of all people, the absolute black hole in the lineup. I would rather have Zach Greinke up than Martin Maldonado up right now. That's how little I think of Maldonado, and yet he comes up with a sack fly, uh, a walk with the bases loaded, and then another RBI single uh, to pace the Astros. They went at 9-5 to in a game that the Braves could have closed out the World Series in, and Braves fans are starting to think, here we go again. This is the newest iteration in a world of pain known by 21st century Braves and Atlanta fans in general. Uh, so, William... And Max, I'll start with you. Max, I'll, I'll go with you first. Uh, what have your been impressions of the last couple of games in Atlanta? And do you think that last night was a turning point for this Astros offense moving forward? No. Oh. No. The Astros wow. are, are overrated. I've been overrated. <laughs> wow. Max. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I'm very biased. I won't lie. Okay, well, then then we have to th- throw the whole no, show no. away. <laughs> I'm biased like every single person in the MLB world right now. Nobody wants the Astros to win. Oh, put your hands I, down. I, I am Put your hands you, you, down. You bring your Astros, anti-Astros bias. I'll bring my anti-Atlanta bias Look, in we here. Do. They play the Marlins every single oh, season. come on. Do you not know the, the energy that I've exhausted this season <laughs> arguing Atlanta Guys, and Miami baseball? we're talking baseball? about a team that cheated for almost three years. Arguably. How many cheaters are on the team right now? <laughs> the Stars. I mean, are they cheating right now? Uh, does it matter? No, yeah. they are not. No, not. they are not. They're no, they are not. not. But does that, does that forgive what happened, though? I, it it doesn't forg- I don't forgive them for they what they did. They got two hits I don't, on the road. Two I don't, hits. I don't forgive them for what... the rookie. And then they scored nine runs. Right. <laughs> I mean, so what's the difference? Slam. It's Max, nine Max, runs. Max. The Braves hit a grand slam, too. <laughs> Max, I would, love to, I would love to be bigger than thyself and, and root for Major League Baseball to see the cheaters go down. I don't. I can't stand the Braves, to say the least. Growing but, up here in Tallahassee, so many bandwagon Braves fans that should have been Rays fans. I was misunderrepresented here, uh, so I've been going I'll to the. And on top of that, I like this Astros team. They're a, they're a good no. couple of guys, including Carlos Correa, who no, I, I will yeah, always go man. to bat. No, for. okay, you you guys are just well, missing soon to be Marlin. The Braves, <laughs> so, the Braves have a beautiful lineup. They acquired four outfielders, none correct. of which were on their team at the start of the year or for the most of the year, to replace one man. The MVP, arguably. And it worked. It worked. It, it, you don't see that ever. It's a, Max, it's a great story. Props to Alex Anthopoulos, who should come runner-up yep. to Farhan Zaidi for uh, Executive of the Year. <laughs> no, no. But that's a, that's a whole different conversation. But, William, getting back on track here with the, with the games coming up. Oh, actually, one last thing. Yeah, Max. Zach Grinke is single-handedly fighting to keep the DH out of the NL. And, and boy, I hope it, he did I his job, man. I, <laughs> we'll see. He he. Zach Greinke might be the only guy that'll be pro DH. I don't know. But uh, William, getting back on track for the games coming up here, uh, as Atlanta has now two chances to close out the World Series. 
They start Max Fried for Game 6 tomorrow night, who in his last couple of games, going back to Game 6 of the NLCS last year, he can't really close out a big game. He's had three opportunities. He is 0 for 3 and kind of gotten rocked in all three of them. Uh, what What is your read on this series as it heads to Houston? Yeah, I mean, if you ask Brian Snicker in his heart of hearts who the ace of this staff was, I think he would unquestionably say it was Charlie Morton. Yeah. I think him not pitching in, in Game 5 was a big reason why they were not able to uh, come out victorious because I think if you had him in an elimination game at home, I think that game goes a lot differently. Um, Max Freed, don't have a whole lot of confidence in him. You do have um, Ian Anderson going in a potential Game 7, which he had a, carried a no-hitter, I think, through five innings in his start in this World Series. So... The momentum won't be on their side in the Game 7, but if they get there, they have a chance. Interesting to see what Houston is going to do with the pitching. They've tagged um, Luis Garcia, yeah. who, who's had a couple of interesting starts here in this postseason, you know, the, the interesting delivery and all that. Um, is he going to be able to kind of continue that magic carpet ride he's been on? That's unsure. And then when it gets to Game 7 for Houston, it's going to be all hands on deck uh, pitching-wise. So it's going to be interesting. Uh, certainly, you would say the, the momentum in the Astros' uh, favor with Atlanta, some memories of of last year, the blown 3-1 to one lead and those things on the road in a hostile environment, it's not going to be easy. Obviously, it's not going to be in six games, but I'm going to stand by my uh, prediction of the Astros coming out of this series victorious. Yeah. Uh, Gary, I'll go to you real quick. On one end, you have the Braves who are dealing with some demons of their own, although I would argue they vanquished those demons in Atlanta against the Dodgers. They put an end to that, not even going to a Game 7. But you have that sort of thing where Atlanta's kind of dreading the fact that they might blow another 3-1 lead. But on the other side, the Astros have been a remarkably terrible team at home over the last couple of postseasons. Uh, I don't know how much you factor that in. I think home field advantage is by far the most inconsequential thing in baseball compared to other sports. Um, but when you look at this Houston lineup, do you think Game 5 was a game that probably triggered something? Can they get back on track at home? Yeah, I do believe they'll be able to get back on track in Houston. I mean, it helps having that home crowd behind you. It, Atlanta is a tough place to play. I'll right. give them that. When the fans are there... And they do show up often. They it is a loud place, and it's very difficult, especially in especially in the weather. I mean, it's been kind of a, a weird a weather system that they had in Atlanta game all three weekend. Was like a monsoon before the game, and yeah, then battle and all that. So like the ball won't travel as far in Atlanta that weekend. The bats, I don't know. It's weird, maybe for Houston. So I'll give them the benefit of the doubt there. But they're going back to the dome in Houston. It'll be closed all we all this week. So I do believe they're going to have a better chance, and especially going up against Max Fried uh, tomorrow night. That's going to be a big confidence boost for this bat. Absolutely, and I think the one thing that people aren't paying attention to, we you know we love you know William just touched about on it, uh, the Astros pitching situation and how they're going to manage that. The Braves are in, like it's everyone called it the minute that Charlie Morton fractured his leg that this was going to come back to bite the Braves in some form or fashion, and it happened with them having to throw two two games in a row kind of piecing stuff together. Ian Anderson obviously uh, was amazing in Game Three, but then Games Four and Five having to piece together stuff. The back end of that bullpen is burnt to a crisp right now, I want to say. Uh, and on top of that, you don't have a lot of confidence in Max Free in the Game 6. So let's say Houston wins Game 6. As as galaxy brand as I would love to be saying that Ian Anderson is, gives the Braves their best shot out of Morton, Freed, and Anderson, uh, his home road splits are atrocious. He is a far better pitcher at home, especially this postseason he's been. Uh, I don't even think he's had to make a start away from, from uh, Truist Field. So I don't trust him in a big Game 7 either. I just get an uneasy feeling. So I think <laughs> if the Braves are to win this series, it's going to come in Game 6. Max Fried is going to have to step up because I don't trust the Braves whatsoever in a Game 7 like that. 
But with that being said, wrapping things up here on the show, the final five minutes, you know, obviously huge, two potential huge games. You know, the Braves could win it for all we know in game six uh, tomorrow night. But if they're not, we get two awesome games. Honestly, I'm just pro baseball. I just wanted to see as much baseball as possible. I want to see Carlos Correa for as many games in an Astros jersey as possible. Uh, and tomorrow night could be it for him, so we'll see. Uh, but moving on to the NFL to kind of wrap up the show a little bit. A couple of huge games, and I told you guys at the top of the show that we would not. this would not be remiss. Uh, Gabe, the floor is your... Saints beat the Bucks by whatever. You, you, uh, Tom Brady throw a pick, whatever. Yeah, yeah, the floor is yours. The pick. You mean to pick six to, to choke the game? Nah, it doesn't matter. Oh, man. Game is over. Hey, man. I, I'm actually not going to focus too much on the game. I, I do realize I have five minutes to just rant all my Saints propaganda, but I won't. I will I will focus on, on what happened on the game. And, and I mean, where, where to start except but the fact that Jameis had to leave. And, and I mean, I am I am really sad for him. I, I am heartbroken almost because he has – had a really troublesome journey in the NFL, and part of it is his own doing. But at the same time, like signing up for the project in New Orleans, it was never clear from the start what was going to be his role. But he's embraced every single part of it, and and I have to shout him out for that because he's just been a, a clear act of leadership in this in this locker room. I mean, coming coming in as the hair of Drew Brees, I mean, you gotta just respect him, and and for him to leave after throwing a touchdown, that was a beauty. And seeming like he was really desperate to, to to prove to Tampa that he was actually not that bad. I mean, I wanted him to get that shot, and and for Trevor Seaman to come in in the game and just not choke it, but actually keep the Saints at bay. But I mean, I don't know. I I I think that the Saints proved a lot of people right when it comes to the fact that hey, yeah, this team is 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 flawed in a couple things, but they also proved them wrong in knowing that hey. Their their window is not necessarily closed to the to the point that some people thought. And and Sean Payton, I mean, what a what a coaching job he did against uh, Bruce Arians and this team. Because, I mean, obviously Tampa was favored, but I think a lot of people were just never going to give the Saints a shot. And for them to come out with this victory after everything that happened uh, is just it was shocking. I, I I didn't think that the Saints were were in control until the second half, and you always expected Brady to come back. And somehow pull it out of the bag like he always does, and then he didn't. So, well, Gabe, I'll I'll, I'll stop you there. First of all, congrats <laughs> on the win. Thank you. Huge win for the Saints. Huge, huge confidence booster yeah. for a team that that's that's. Oh, yeah, Max. What? Gabe, you know what What's this up? means? We get to see your, your boy. The Taysom. reign of Taysom Hill will begin <laughs> oh, next great. week. No, no. What, is he? When is he? Is he come back yeah, next he'll week? He'll be out of concussion oh, protocol. No, this please, week. no, Trevor Simeon. No, please, Trevor better Simeon than Lamar. Good. Jackson. Trevor Simeon. Trevor Simeon, is, Trevor Simeon is gives the Saints a better shot he's than Taysom not. Hill. No, he's not. We're talking about Trevor Simeon. He Max, had two good and you're talking games. about a guy who can't commit to being a quarterback. I don't need <laughs> that. Gary, That's were you fine. on? Were you on the show when Max said that Taysom Hill? Is Lamar Jackson? I believe that. No. Yeah, no. Wait, wait, wait. You did not quite say that. You said Listen, that? I said these Lamar airways? Jackson is overrated and a very rich man's version of Taysom. <laughs> no. No, Max. Yes. No. And he is. Lamar's way better. Lamar's Lamar is a, having a Lamar's good year. an MVP. Ever since I said that, Lamar, Lamar's been playing great. Lamar had one down year, and he's been an MVP, and he's been a great quarterback. I'll tell he's you this. He's learned to throw the ball better I in the pocket. I like Taysom Hill. He can I run do. the ball better than Taysom Hill. He can throw the ball better than Taysom Hill. I don't know what he does wrong. <laughs> I, I, we'll I see. I, he's better in every way. I, okay, okay. Do, do the Saints play, play the Ravens this year? 
No. no. Oh, I wish they did. Uh, that would have been, we'll, we'll, been the we'll, perfect we'll moment. Bring it back you in. We'll bring it back in here. Gabe, congrats on the win. Embarrassing loss for the Bucks, to say the least. I will say, I felt my heart broke for Jameis. I love Jameis. My heart broke until I saw him after the game. Mm. After the game, <laughs> in the locker room, dancing his butt off. I, and honestly, now I'm starting to wonder whether he tore it in the locker room or on the field. I, d- I don't have. know. So all my sympathy for Jameis. Uh, obviously, <laughs> he'll always be a buck in my heart and a no in my heart. But that was that was uh, classless, classless by Jameis on crutches dancing in the locker room. There's still 24 hours. Uh, the Saints should just maybe call the Ravens and see if they would be open to... <laughs> to flipping them? Yeah. We'll see. Uh, really quick, last second before the show, um, obviously big news of the day in the NFL, Derrick Henry out for the season. Uh, William, if you want to take the rant, how does this impact the Titans going forward? Are we out on the Titans at this point? I don't think you could say that. And the the, the report I saw today was that it's a 6-10 to 10 week injury. So... Yeah, we shall see. We're getting we're getting a call in right now. I have no idea who from. I hope it's about Lamar Jackson, Taysom Hill. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. <laughs> Technical issues. Sorry about that. We're gonna wrap it up because <laughs> I forgot we had a show on afterwards. For, sorry about that. Um, but from myself, from Gabe, Max, William, Jackson over there, Gary Putnick back in the studio, Scott, Sebastian, AJ on Twitter over here. Uh, from all of us here at V89, this has been Tomahawk Talk. You are listening to WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State.